Good morning, Maple Ridge Alliance Church family. This is a culmination of a long week, an intensive, lengthy process trying to determine God's will for your church and for my family. I think I've counted 22 different meetings since January, and I feel like a Zoom expert. Um, I do appreciate your continued prayers as at the end of this week a decision needs to be made. So if you wouldn't mind turning into your Bibles to Mark chapter 14, we're going to be looking at a very interesting chapter, but I'd like to start us in prayer if that's okay. Father God, this is your church, your people, you are the head of this church. They've never been without a lead shepherd, and you've guided them through this process. Today, Father, we're looking at your scripture that brings life. Guide us as we look at your words as a story of love and compassion uh, leading up to an arrest, crucifixion, and a resurrection. Guide us into your word, Father. Touch us with your spirit's heart. Let us see you, maybe in a new light. And may that vision of you and your glory change our hearts and our lives. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Do you recognize these songs? To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life and atonement for sin and opened a life gate that all may go in. Or this one, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation and purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. These songs were written by a woman named Frances J. Crosby, an American mission worker and poet, lyricist. She wrote more than 8,000 hymns and, and gospel songs. In fact, they've been published over 100 million copies have been in print. Most of all of the American hymnals that have come out in the last century include many of her songs. In fact, uh, they were including so many of her songs, they, they, they were feeling bad, so she, she used 200 different um, names uh, instead of her own so that she could get more of her songs in, in the hymnals. Fanny Crosby set a goal of winning one million people to the Lord through her songs. She prayed every time that she wrote a song that God would use it to reach a man or a woman for Christ, that their lives would be transformed forever. She died in 1915 in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and on her tombstone it reads, Aunt Fanny, she did what she could, Fanny J. Crosby. She did what she could has been a theme of my life uh, for several years. By the way, I didn't mention Fanny was blind. What she did was all she could, None, uh, no more and no less. I came across the same epithet when I was in New Zealand on the coast. I uh, saw a small church that had a, a graveyard out front of uh, indigenous peoples, Maori people. And there was a name of a woman that had passed away. And it said on her tombstone, she did what she could. And that's intrigued me ever since. I, I wondered where did that come from? What did it mean? Well, the Bible text that we are looking at today comes from Mark chapter 14. And it's by far, uh, and thank you, by the way, for assigning it to me, but it's by far the longest chapter in the entire book of Mark uh, by at least 20 verses. And it includes some incredible passages. Uh, chapter 15 is one of the darkest chapters in the book of Mark. And chapter 16, of course, the most inspiring. 15 and 16 bring us the crucifixion and the resurrection. But in chapter 14... Uh, everything starts to fall apart. 
Everything goes sideways. Massive confusion. The powers of darkness seem to be winning. Jesus' enemies are overcoming him. They're getting the upper hand, and it ends with the disciples running for their lives, hiding, uh, wondering if the past three years of their life has been wasted. They've been following after the wrong guy. In chapter 14, these are the things that it includes. The plot to kill Jesus at the beginning, an anointing of Christ by Mary and Bethany. Uh, Judas scheming to betray Jesus. Uh, Jesus preparing for the Passover feast. The institution of the Lord's Supper. Uh, Jesus' agonizing prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter denying even knowing Christ. Uh, Judas betraying and arrest of Jesus. Unjustly brought before the high priest and the council. And finally, his... Peter's denial that he even knows Jesus at the end of the chapter. So 72 verses, uh, plotting to murder, uh, betrayal, denial, accusations, arrest, uh, abandonment. But in the midst of this darkness, uh, this degrading time for Jesus, there's a very beautiful act of worship for him. It's reminiscent of a story told in World War II concentration camp of a tiny flower that had broken through a crack in the parade grounds where the prisoners came out each day for counting. Someone noticed this flower, and a thing of beauty. And all the prisoners decided, we've we got to protect this. It's the only thing that we can see in the midst of horrors each day. So Mark 14 records a beautiful incident in the life of Jesus. It's encouraging, inspiring act of worship, while everything was conspiring against Jesus, his father, it was as though he sent an angel of mercy to just give him a hug. Say, it's going to be okay. I'll be with you through this. Jesus was looking to the cross and the unspeakable suffering that he was going to have to endure. Jesus would repay Mary's act of kindness with an even greater sacrificial act of kindness of his own. She gave her most prized possession And he gave his life. So let's read the chapter, uh, the verses starting in verse 3 in Mark chapter 14. So while Jesus was in Bethany, sitting at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman arrived with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made from pure nard or spike nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume on his head. The book of John tells us that the woman's name is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Irritated, some who were there asked one another, why was this perfume wasted like this? This perfume could have been sold for uh, more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. So they got extremely angry with her. And Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing for me because you always have the destitute with you and you can help them whenever you want, but you will not always have me with you. She has done what she could. She poured perfume on my body in preparation for my burial, and I tell you with certainty, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, that she, uh, what she has done will also be told as a memorial to her. So this event, it takes place on the Tuesday night of the Passion Week, while Christ's enemies at the same time were meeting at Caiaphas' house, the high priest, and plotting his death. So let's look at the characters in the story. First we have Jesus. He's headed to the cross, and he's, he's spending one last peaceful moment with his friends. They have Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, the three siblings. Um, I'd say the formerly dead Lazarus, because Jesus had raised him uh, from the dead after three days of being dead. 
We have the 12 disciples who were looking forward to having supper in an upper room, uh, celebrating the Passover on a very fateful night. And we have their host, Simon, another walking miracle. He's formerly Simon the leper, but now they don't know what to call him because he's not a leper anymore. So all of them had seen Jesus perform miracles, and uh, two of them at least had been the recipient of an amazing miracle of God. So let's look at Mary, because this was Mary's time to shine. Mary probably was the youngest of the three siblings, and she comes in bringing a small alabaster flask. So this was not her home, but often Jesus went to be with uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in their home, along with the disciples. But this time, I think they needed a bigger place, so they were at Simon's place. She brought with her an alabaster flask, and inside of it was a very expensive perfume. Uh, uh, the spike nard, it comes from a flowering plant grown in the Himalayas, which is not close to Jerusalem. In other words, it's very uncommon. Uh, it's hard to get, and uh, it, it's, uh, what do we say, unaffordable to most people. So to put it in perspective of today's wages, it would be the equivalent of a, 2000, a 2021 Lexus LS. Can you imagine just wasting that? <laughs> hard to believe. But that's what... The accusation was she has wasted this perfume on Jesus. Some scholars think that Mary had thought about this long and hard, and maybe she'd already uh, talked to her siblings about what to do with this heirloom. See, this was an investment, right? They would have hidden this perfume away uh, and saved it, maybe sold it for much more than they bought it for. This, this was maybe their inheritance, what they were planning to live on. But maybe when they thought, you know, is anything too good for Jesus, seeing as he's given back our brother to life. So maybe they had agreed to this act, or maybe they were just too shocked to know what to say. What is she doing with our, our spike nard? Uh, how, what, and, and I think they maybe they're just frozen with, with disbelief, or it was a plan. I can't tell. The disciples seem to be caught off guard. Maybe they're not used to people being nice to Jesus, bringing him gifts, showing him gratitude. Um, maybe they just weren't used to uh, noticing Mary very often, but now they smelled like spikenard. <laughs> you couldn't get away from it. Maybe they were just uh, on edge because the tension was fairly uh, palpable in Jerusalem. Jesus' enemies were plotting. There was evil in the air. And maybe it was just an uneasy time or they'd been traveling all day. But anyway, they jumped on Mary, they accused her. They, they, they made her uh, feel very small and unappreciated. She was very grateful that Jesus had raised her brother from the dead. But this wasn't an act of gratitude. It was an act of service. Uh, it was an act so incredibly touching to Jesus that he actually commands that this act of hers, this act of kindness would be forever remembered. Whenever the gospel is preached, he says, wherever it's preached around the world, this act of her kindness is going to also be mentioned as a memorial to her. Well, let's look at the, another character, Judas. This is also Judas's time to shine, but in a very different way. We call him Judas the betrayer. He was, um, maybe he was just tired of following Jesus. Maybe he was trying to push Jesus into some kind of action. Maybe he didn't want this Jesus to be a lamb of God, he wanted a king of kings to come and overthrow the Romans. We don't know. Maybe he was just feeling tired of being poor and not having a 
business of his own or a place to live or a family. He just decided, I'm going to cut my losses and go back home. We don't know. But what we do know is he was greedy and he was uh, untrustworthy. He was deceptive. He was regularly stealing money from the pocket of the disciples, the, the money bag that they let him carry. Um, and his outburst, I know it has nothing to do with any kind of um, interest in helping the poor and the needy. He was motivated by selfishness. And when he saw Mary's act of generosity, it's probably uh, hurting his bottom line. That's a year's worth of money I could be pilfering for myself. And he, he just, he has it. And he yells at her, why was this perfume wasted like this? I wonder what Jesus thought. Wasted? On him? Can't imagine there would be anything wasted when it's given to Jesus. We should have love without limits and wholehearted worship and generous sacrificial offerings to Christ for all he has done for us. Not just all he's done for us on the cross, but the scriptures say that he's also preparing stuff for us for, for when we get to see him again. In 1 Corinthians 2.9 it says, No eye has seen or ear have heard or no mind has even imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love him. There's going to be some more. It's not just here on earth. It's not just salvation because of Christ dying on the cross for us, but he is preparing a place for us that we can be brought with him, and, he, and, and there's, there's more to come. The next group of characters is the disciples, and I have to say, out of, the, of all the groups, this, this kind of bothers me the most. Judas must have had some certain amount of respect amongst the disciples because they trusted him with the money bag, which, which they shouldn't have. And when he started berating Mary, they all just jumped in. They gang, ganged up on her. Uh, you know, it says here that they got extremely angry with her. And this, the word that's translated is called embryomai, uh, and it means you snort with anger, to have indignation, to blame or sigh with chagrin, to groan and murmur against her. Listen to the other translations. Good News Bible says they criticized her harshly. King James Version, they murmured against her. The Amplified Version says they censored and reproved her. And the ESV says they scolded her. This is, this is not just a passing comment they made. They were, they were yelling at her for the waste. They were maybe trying to impress Jesus, how indignant they were on behalf of the poor who could have been helped. But can you imagine, though, an entire room of angry men picking on a poor woman who had just done an immeasurable act of love for Jesus. How would you feel if you were Mary? Confused, overwhelmed, maybe embarrassed and ashamed? It's like she's done something wrong. No one came to her defense. Not even her brother stood up for her. Picture John chapter 7 when Jesus had a, a woman caught in adultery just thrown at his feet and on all these angry religious leaders had rocks in their hands ready to murder, to kill, to stone this girl to death. And the only thing that stopped, that came, that stopped her from being killed that day was Jesus. He showed her kindness and compassion. He showed her what kind of person that Jesus was, that he has grace in him. Everyone else was yelling at her and accusing her of, of, of an act worthy of death. He picks her up and says... We're your accusers, and they've all left. Because he pointed out that, you know, 
If you're without sin, you can cast a stone. And no one was left to cast any stones after they thought about it. And he says, well, I'm not going to continue either, so go and sin no more. Here, he stands up for poor Mary. You know, sometimes one person's act of generosity can illuminate the stinginess in other people's hearts. It's easy to criticize other people who love, seem to love Jesus more than we do. Sometimes we call them a fanatic or a religious fanatic because they are more devoted to Jesus than we are. The truth is that the only one in the house that day in this story who understood what Jesus had been saying about his impending death was Mary. She had a sense that things were not going to end well for her Lord. Many times he had said to them that he was going to be uh, handed over to his enemies, that he was going to be uh, beaten and uh, mocked and, and crucified. And it sounds like she was the only one who was listening. And she did what she could. Do you remember Mary was the one who sat at Jesus' feet uh, listening to him? Uh, One day, and Martha, the sister who was making all the food, says, Jesus, tell her to come help me out. I can't do all this alone. And, And Jesus says, she's chosen what's best. And here, we see Mary's heart even again. I think that if women were allowed to be disciples in that day, Mary would have been a disciple of Jesus had she been given half a chance. Well, Martha, the the other sister, she was doing what she can as well. I I give her some credit. She was a worker, right? She was always serving. That was her thing. You know, after all, the food's not going to make itself. She had a servant's heart. She worked hard. She actually took care of Jesus' needs. She was a friend to Jesus too. The problem is, I think, sometimes we can work for Jesus and forget to be with Jesus. We can be so busy, work, work, working, that we are not loved loving him and and hanging out with him and just being in his presence, blessing him as he has blessed us. And I know that food can often equal love. You know, if you're having a bad day, mama's going to cook you something nice tonight, you know, because that's what mamas do. They take care of their kids. And, you know, if you're going to have exams coming up or something at school, uh, we'll load you up with all these goodies and, and baked goods and we'll send them home and you'll be okay You know, Martha uh, liked cooking and serving, and she was good at it, and she blessed everybody in her house. But Martha showed ordinary love, and Mary showed extraordinary love at this time. So the very next verses uh, after this passage that we've just read, Judas leaves immediately, and he goes out to betray. He he goes directly to Jesus' enemies, and he makes a deal. He makes a deal for 30 pieces of silver. You know, the car, the spike nard is worth... Uh, uh, 10 times that amount. But he was going to get what he could. I think it was the last straw for him. After, after seeing the waste of this, this perfume and being rebuked by Jesus, he, he couldn't take it anymore. And he's just, he's done. It's interesting though, because the word that Jesus, uh, Judas used for Mary in verse four about why did you waste this perfume? In John chapter 17, when Jesus is praying, the high priestly prayer we call it to his father, he says this, while I was with the disciples in the world, I kept them in your name. Those that you have given me, I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, 
that the scripture might be fulfilled. It's exactly the same word that we translate waste when Judas talked to her. Why did you perdition this? Perdition means to perish or ruin or be destroyed. Why did you waste it? And Jesus takes that same word, Warren Wearsby points out that Jesus takes the term Judas used to criticize Mary and slaps it back on Judas himself. So Judas accuses Mary of wasting money, but Jesus accuses Judas of wasting his life. So in verse 6, Jesus does step in. He, he defends Mary for what she has done for him. And this is, no one could quite understand the, the impact that this moment had on Jesus. He says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing for me. She's, she has done what she could. She's anointing my body for my burial. The, the, the disciples are going, whew. Like they don't know what he's saying at all. It's just way over their head. They're still clueless about what's going on. And, and Mary, I think there must be a connection with Mary because uh, she's getting it. She understands what's happening. And I think she's, she's, uh, she's doing what she can to bless her Lord. The theologians believe that she had prepared this ahead of time. She was planning to do it. She believed Jesus every time he said that he was going to be handed to the wicked men and mocked and scourged and crucified. But the other people, I think the rest of the disciples just had no um, desire to even hear that. Every time he talked like that, he said, don't talk like that. Like, I don't want to hear that. Like that. We, want, we want to be ruling in the area. We want you to push the Romans out. We want to have a kingdom set up. Don't talk like that. But she heard it, and she acted. So Jesus gives her a high compliment. She's done what she could. And God expects no more from us than what we can do, but he also expects no less. So Harry Ironside, he says, there could be no higher commendation than this. All cannot do great things for Christ, but it is well if each one does what he can as unto the Lord himself. A couple of ways of looking at this. One is, uh, like the woman who brought, the, the widow who brought her, her, her two last coins that she had to, to the temple. She put the two coins into the, the offering box and Jesus looked at her, noticed her, the only one, and he says, she's given more than everyone else. I said, what are you talking about? Look at all the rich people dumping bags of money and she says, no, she gave everything. She gave all she could. She gave all she had. And maybe that's what it's meaning when it says she, she, she did what she could. She couldn't have done any more. She didn't have anything more exceptional to, to offer Jesus than what she gave. Or you can look at it as the, the boy that brought the loaves and fishes, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount, where, where Jesus wanted to feed all these masses of people, and this little boy offers Jesus what he has. And it's like, maybe it's, it's the boy brought what he, what he had, and Jesus took it, and did the rest. He, he took it and made it into a blessing. The, the blessed thousands of people. The boy brought what he could. That's all he had. Handed it to Jesus. And Jesus made something amazing from it. Mary pouring this, this costly oil on Jesus' head. It, the aroma filled the whole room. Everybody would have left there smelling like spikenard that day. He takes that act of kindness and he goes to the cross with it. And he redeems the world. She did what she could. Let's bring it together. So for a long time, the disciples had really been looking for position, for power, for, for some kind of recognition or influence or fame. And they were actually, James and John said, hey, when you come into your kingdom, we'd like to sit on the right and the left. 
And Jesus says, you don't even know what you're talking about. But this, this woman, Mary, she blessed Jesus by her gift. And he said, as long as the gospel's told, wherever it's told, this incident will, be, will also be told as a memorial to her. She, she's been given an elevated position because of her love for Jesus. You know, Peter rebukes Mary, but in the next days, Peter would vehemently deny even knowing Jesus three times. Judas berates Mary for being wasteful, but Judas was going to sell out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver that night. The rest of the disciples ganged up on Mary, and, and, and every one of them was about to run and hide and abandon Jesus by the end of the, the evenings. Mary, or sorry, Martha, Lazarus, and Simon, they all kept silent. They didn't want to get involved or take sides. Probably now they wish they had. But they'd benefited more than anyone else. Lazarus was dead, and Jesus rose him from the life. Simon was dying of leprosy, and he healed him. And they said nothing. No enduring memorial to them, only Mary. We cannot let our response of love to Jesus be determined or discouraged by the criticism or misunderstandings of other people around us. There's always going to be some people who don't understand or get uncomfortable with an extravagant love and wholehearted devotion to God. Jesus defends and commends those who do what they can in response to what he has done for them already. So it's fair to ask a question. When we look at a story like this, we, we need to see, the, what is this saying to me? How does this apply? Well, let me ask the question. Who do you most identify with in the story? Those who always look out for themselves and for what they can get from God? Those who are critical, who know that we could be doing more for Jesus, but just decide not to. Maybe those who work hard for Jesus, but don't really know him so well. Or those who profess loyalty to Christ but are too afraid to actually defend Jesus when it comes down to it. Or maybe those who just like to, like to be with Jesus, like to express their love and joy and excitement about being in his presence. They don't care what others think about them and they, they, they do whatever they can to please Jesus because they know they're going to stand before him one day and get to see him face to face. Ephesians 5, 1-2 says, Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. I can say with some confidence that because of the quality of the spikenard oil that Mary poured on Jesus that day, I'm pretty sure it lingered for another couple of days. It would be in his hair. He had no time to go take a shower or a bath. He would be arrested shortly, and crucified. And as he hung on the cross, what do you think he could smell? Probably that spikenard, probably a reminder of God's love for him, of God's plan for him, of Mary's act of kindness. You see, during this whole time from chapter 14 to the end, this was the only kind act that was given to Jesus. Everyone else was trying to destroy him and, and abandon him and accuse him and slap him and mock him, scourge him and crucify him. And the one shining moment in all of it was Mary's act of kindness. We were not asked to go on Amazon and order some spike nard to pour it out onto something. It would cost about 60 bucks if you want to do that. 
What we are asked to do is look at the story and ask, what about my love relationship with Jesus? What am I willing to do to show my love for him? What can I do that would reflect my devotion? Are we truly doing what we can? You remember in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a parable about a king. And uh, in the, uh, the verses of verse 37, it says, The righteous will answer the king after a conversation that they had. And they said, When, Lord, did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? Or, or uh, when did we ever see you a stranger and welcome you into our homes or naked and clothe you? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and, and visit you? And the king, he replies, I tell you, whenever you do this for one of the least important of these followers of mine, you've done it for me. You see, we can actually demonstrate our love for Christ as we demonstrate our love for those around us. When we stand before Jesus and he looks upon us, will he smile and say, this one, he did what he could. That one, she did what she could. Come, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, come and possess the kingdom which has been prepared for you since the creation of the world. And I wonder if the Apostle Paul had the story of Mary in mind when he wrote Philippians 4.18. He says, I've been paid in full. He's writing back to the church in Philippi that just sent him a bunch of money to help take care of his needs. He says, I've been paid in full and have more than enough. I'm fully supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant aroma. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. See, if you know anything about the Old Testament worship, they had this, this um, offering, a burnt offering that was uh, offered daily. It was consisting of fine flour and olive oil and frankincense. And they burned it. And I don't know if God, what, about God and his nature, but he likes sweet-smelling aromas for some reason. And it was ordered that every day this sweet-smelling aroma, frankincense, and fine flour would be burned and sent up as an offering, an aroma to God. What I'm actually learning is that every little act of kindness that we do in Jesus' name sends a sweet-smelling aroma up to God. It's a reminder of his goodness and our love for him. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, "Thanks, thanks be to God. Who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one a fragrance of, from death to death and to the other a fragrance from life to life. With Christ in us, our lives become a fragrance of Jesus that impact all of those around us. So for the 11 disciples that were left after Judas hung himself, they had an opportunity to be redeemed. They had an opportunity to learn how to show their love for Jesus and also to do what they could do for him. Ten of them chose death over denying that they knew Christ. And when Mary had shown her love for Jesus, I remember Peter rebuking her. And after the resurrection, Jesus specifically looks Peter in the eye. And three times he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And I think Peter finally understands. Now 
He's ready to deny himself and take up his cross and follow Jesus regardless of the cost. Few people write their own epithets on their grave markers. Uh, Usually it's left to those who knew them and loved them and who saw that they lived a life truly devoted to Christ and that their life was a sweet aroma of sacrifice to God, making a difference in the lives of those around them. To those who wrote the epithets, she did what she could. I, 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 I want that on my tombstone. I want Jesus to be able to say he did what he could. Are you offering to God what's worthy of our our Lord and Savior? Let me close this moment in prayer. Father God, you show us a picture of what it looks like to offer an acceptable sacrifice through the actions of Mary, who gave what she could, who did what she could, who served him in a way that touched his heart, that helped him as he was on the cross even. A memorial to her has been uh, commanded that Jesus wants everyone to understand that nothing that is given to him, nothing that is poured out for him, nothing that is offered for him is wasted. He will take it and bless it and multiply it. He will make it... (laughs) have an impact. And our very lives can be that aroma of Christ. It can be the the kind of aroma that uh, people can see uh, hope in us. They can see uh, life in us. They can see the love of Jesus in us as we offer our lives over and over to God for his use and his service. Father God, bless your message. May the Spirit touch the hearts and minds of your people that are listening. And may, Father, we leave our homes and our our, our places of work, and may we think about how we can constantly be that aroma of Christ that impacts all of those around us. Thank you for this day of worship that you set aside for us to reflect and to love you. Praise in Christ's name. Amen.